This is Words Matter with Norm Ornstein. There is no vaccine around. And Dr. Kavita Patel. But I bet you, you didn't know that. Most clinicians do not know that. And that's a problem. Hello and welcome to Words Matter from the DSR Network. Each week, Norm Ornstein and I will talk about the issues facing our country as we head into the midterms and what our leaders are saying and doing about them. Today, we actually have an action-filled episode with some of our favorite clips from some of the leading Republican candidates at various levels, lieutenant governor, Senate, fringe candidates in Congress, who no longer seem like they are on the fringe, and in fact, have emerged as either frontrunners or incredibly incredibly resistant threats to any counter from a moderate Republican or any Democrat whatsoever. Norm and I will try to break down some of the words that are coming out of candidates' mouths and try to understand exactly where this fits in the Democratic debate, as well as our fight for justice on so many levels. Here are a few clips from a candidate for Lieutenant Governor of Minnesota, Matt Burke, actually a longtime Minnesota Viking fan, and he's a former football player. But here he is talking at the Right to Life convention. Our culture loudly, but also stealthily promotes abortion. You know, telling women they should look a certain way, they should have careers, all these things. Again, rape is obviously a horrible thing, but an abortion is not going to, it's not going to heal the wounds of that. One of the arguments that I've probably saw 20 times online today was, uh, was about rape. And, you know, obviously, you know, they always want to go to the rape card. They said, well, abortion's legal, you know, and it was kind of an easy out for a lot of people that didn't really want to engage. Well, it's, it's legal, you know, just, um, you know, a lot of things have been legal before that we've changed. Right. And we always hear about the, the, I'm sure you've heard, I know I'm talking to a bunch of pro-life warriors here. Uh, you know, slavery used to be legal, right? which is an interesting comparison to make because really the way that uh, the other side treats an unborn child is basically like that that unborn child is, is the property uh, of, of the mother. It is a measure of the extremes that we're seeing in the aftermath of Dobbs on the abortion issue. But Matt Burke is not alone in this. In fact, he is not an outlier at all. The reality is that we're seeing candidates all across the country, candidates endorsed not just by Donald Trump, but by other prominent leaders of the Republican Party, joining a whole lot of current members of Congress, of state legislatures, candidates for governor and governors themselves, who are taking positions that a decade ago, two decades ago, would have been condemned by the party and would have been viewed as wildly extreme. And now they are the norm and not the exception. Norm, it goes even further than that. It's disturbing because this wasn't a surprise reaction for many of these candidates. This is something after the Supreme Court decision, this is something that they have been beating a drum about, not just even since Donald Trump. I think that's one of the problems that we see is that we as much as I would like to attribute it all to Trump, this is just a growing virus within the GOP where they have now taken what they had originally used in the kind of quiet rooms and with like a smaller group of supporters, blasted out, and the Supreme Court gave them a platform for it. Definitely so. But, you know, what I find 
troubling in particular and interesting on this issue to start with, Kavita, is that if you go back even a few years, the mantra was we would like to see Roe overturned, but of course, exceptions for incest, rape, the life of the mother. In Idaho, the Republican Party had its convention where they were setting up their platform last week, and somebody offered a resolution that would exempt abortions in the case of the life of the mother, not the health of the mother, the life of the mother. It failed by just about four to one. So they have a platform now that says all abortions are murder. They criminalize abortions and exclude exemptions for rape, incest, and the life of the mother. The Texas Republican Party did that, along with rejecting the results of the 2020 election, said that being gay is abnormal, vowed to protect access to all guns at all times, and it basically is now acceptable to take positions that we would have seen as extreme. This is unusual, to say the least, and it's a reflection of the fact that we no longer have two political parties, and we don't have a political party that meets any of the norms that we've expected in our democracy. And we're seeing this spread like wildfire across the country. I would just note that we had primaries in Maryland. Maryland, of course, is a pretty liberal state. The Republican Party in the past, at least a lot of it, was relatively moderate. They've had an extremely popular governor, Larry Hogan Jr. And Larry Hogan Jr.'s choice to succeed him was basically thumped by a Trumpist radical who is now the nominee in a liberal state to be governor. This is happening in parties, even in those states that have had a history of relative moderation. I'm a Maryland resident, and I was actually quite pleased to see the Democratic primary candidates, Wes Moore and Aruna Miller for lieutenant governor, kind of come to the front, because I think it's going to take candidates like Wes and Aruna to take on what, what the Democratic Party stands for, how they are going to work for the people, and to not rest on kind of these old party laurels. That's why I think Tom Perez did not even have much of a chance, despite amassing quite a bit of money. But let me even go back to Burke, since it's not lost on me that he is on the ticket, since we're talking about lieutenant governors, with a GOP-endorsed candidate, Scott Jensen, who happens to be a physician, licensed physician in Minnesota. And he's actually been investigated. What's publicly known is that he's been investigated by the state's medical board five times separately for different allegations of what I'll call medical quackery. Him and Burke with their misogynistic disarray that's just dirty and messy. And like you said, put can put hair on your head. It's not just that it's troubling what he talks about, like, oh, people want to use the rape card and what he, they really think of women. But it feels norm like these are the conversations going back that they want to say out loud. These are the things they've felt in their heart and they're saying out loud and they're getting an audience for it, getting support for it, raising money for it. And as we look to 2022 midterms, 2024. I'm just deeply troubled. And and, uh, we'll talk later in our member segment about a potential Republican that can buck that trend, O'Day, who's up for the Senate Republican nominee in the state of Colorado. But this is a dark point for the GOP. And if I'm sitting as a moderate Republican, which is a majority of Republicans we know from polling, 
Norm, what is the implication that some of these people will go forward? That Matt Burke and, and many people in houses, districts, counties, what is the implication of these people actually succeeding and winning office? It's troubling in part because I, you know, I'm a Minnesotan and I was talking today with a veteran journalist from the Minneapolis Star Tribune about just this. And she said, I'm worried that they could actually win. What we know is that we've, we have a public, many of whom don't know the positions that these candidates are taking, many of whom just aren't paying attention. And they're just disgruntled right now with the state of the country and the state of the world. Uh, Biden's approval rating is down around 30% right now. It's continued to drop. The good news for Democrats is that when you look at the generic ballot, Democrats are a little bit ahead, somewhere between 17 and 20% of those who say they disapprove of Biden say they'll vote for Democrats. But we don't know how long that will continue. And the results in Virginia are telling from the uh, uh, gubernatorial contest there that was sort of a harbinger of where we might be. The Democratic Party has tended to try to push the more extreme candidates. You know, it's the traditional way that if you end up with people who are so far outside the mainstream, you've got a better chance of beating them. We saw that some years ago in Indiana, where you had an extreme candidate and Democrats were thrilled to have that candidate. And even in a Republican state, he lost. That doesn't happen anymore. The tribalism has taken over so much that people vote for horrible candidates if it's a member of their tribe and a whole lot of other voters are just going to say, throw the rascals out. So our hope is that they get trounced, which is a long shot to say the least this time. If they win the House and or the Senate, if they win some of these races for governor, for lieutenant governor, for attorney general, attorneys general, for secretary of state, their incentives to try and clean their house and move back to being more of a plainly conservative but mainstream reasonable party, those odds are very much changed if they manage to prevail. Just to go back also now to Maryland, they haven't called some of the more high-profile Democratic gubernatorial nominees because of some complications with polls and a lot of mail-in ballots. But even there, where you had some high-profile names, and to your point, a Larry Hogan kind of endorsed person against a Trump person, some real potential contentious races, 17% voter turnout. Norm, I you know we'll see what the breakdowns are along party lines, but that, and I've been watching the, you know, we watch some of the other primaries very closely. We've not seen turnout to your point that people don't even know what's at stake, don't even realize it's an election day. It just kind of rocks me deeply to my core. And, and I don't know if um, Joe Biden got COVID, but was in the midst of doing this kind of grip and grin tour in the United States. Harris is on, I think what's being dubbed is like a, basically a three day all call out for polls and elections tour herself. And what will come of it, Norm? Like we're not, I just, so any, any words matter listeners who have been active in their local election board or have just even volunteered to be part of elections, best thing that we can do is actually just educate and put turnout. I don't care what party even at this point, 
because we are losing the very kind of fundamentals of the democratic process and the Matt Burks of the world are winning. I have to say that a good part of the problem here, Kavita, is the press corps itself. It's one thing to have a Fox propaganda machine, which is there and which is framing this in a fashion that basically gives even more legitimacy to the more radical and extreme candidates. And obviously, we see the same thing with talk radio. But it's the mainstream press as well, which continues to try to normalize the abnormal. I've seen so many stories, for example, about how Ron DeSantis is the Republican of the future without noting that he is much more like Viktor Orban in the way he approaches politics and policy than he is like, say, uh, his predecessor, uh, Jeb Bush. And the same is true of Glenn Youngkin, who is a Trumpist and racist and radical. You look at some of the appointments he's making now to boards in Virginia. It was pretty obvious, but the press corps treated him as this breath of fresh air. I was particularly upset by a column that David Brooks did just this past week or so in which he was saying, we need a completely different kind of candidate. We have to have somebody who emerges in a different way. He pointed to a lot of poll results. But then as he looked at where the two parties are, he framed the Republican Party this way. The Republicans used to be the party of business, but now they are emerging as a multiracial working class party, as if this was a traditional normal party that was just absolutely changing its base, but in a very positive way. There was nothing in this column about the kinds of things that we've been talking about. And while it's true that, you know, columnists don't have the same traction that they might have had 30 or 40 years ago, when you get something like that from a prominent figure in the New York Times, it resonates more broadly, and it sends the kinds of signals to the rest of journalism that you treat this as normal and that you focus on the horse races. And that's what we're going to see more of. It's going to be, can Westmore win without focusing on what happens if Cox, the Republican, actually did win? Well, and Norm, we'll get into this uh, a little bit later in our bonus content. But part of why uh, you can tell I'm slightly obsessed with the Joe O'Day race in Senate in Colorado is the Democratic Party poured a ton of money into propping up the incredibly crazy Trump endorsed Ron Hanks to actually tamp down what was a very obvious kind of support, even from moderate Democrats and many Republicans in the state of Colorado for Joe Day, who's a kind of a unique, refreshing voice of, hey, listen, it's not my business to talk about when women should have their access to reproductive rights. That's their business. And so it's also Democrat strategy. David Brooks is kind of not paying attention, but Neither are some of the Democrat strategists who have been pouring millions into the propping up, to your point, like the media, ironically. You know, this is a wake-up call for uh, the Democratic Party, though. How are you going to spend your money, first of all? One of the things that's a problem, too, is you see a ton of money coming into candidates running against horrible people, but who don't have any chance of winning because the district's or states are firmly red. Then you get this money poured into trying to prop up the crazy candidates. And if some of them win, the consequences are going to be disastrous. But it's also a wake-up call for how you're going to run. 
and what you're going to do. And when I see a Senate that is saying, you know, we've got so much to do, I don't know if we can get to votes, for example, as the House has just done on contraception, on same-sex marriage. If you don't make this contrast and educate a public about what the consequences are if these people gain power, regain power, and take the reins of power, it's political malpractice, but it's also incredibly dangerous. And some of this has to start at the top. It has to start with the president. So, Norm, as we talk about Democrats and having to kind of face, especially the Democratic Senate, uh, who no doubt will take their August recess, as they usually do, and kind of push to the back a number of issues, you still to this day do not hear like a full-throated rallying cry from like Democratic Senate, Democratic Congress, with the exception of, you know, AOC and a couple of colleagues who really were probably the loudest voices before and kind of post SCOTUS decisions. And yet you have no reminder. I have yet to hear any Democratic senator, including Chuck Schumer, coming in with their whiteboard as a reminder of how the GOP has voted on not just reproductive rights, voting rights, access for seniors uh, in Medicare to hearing aids. Give me an example. And why is that not the drumbeat? Stunning, just stunning that that's not part of the conversation. And that Democrats have to decide what they're going to run on, and they haven't. They also have to decide whether they believe that this is an urgent existential threat right now. And when you say, you know, we're going to take a two-week recess um, around July 4th, and then when we come back, I don't think we can do nights and weekends. Uh, and, you know, some of the members who are up for re-election want to go back home. But if you don't signal to the country what the contrast is, what the threat is, how they voted, that it's not just a theoretical thing, they've made it clear where they're headed, you're doomed. And, you know, at the same time, as you've suggested, you want to hold votes that force the Republicans to take a stand, something that goes either in the direction of where the public broadly is or appeasing that narrow radical base. And what we're seeing now, and we saw this, for example, the House just had a vote on codifying the right to contraception, and all but eight Republicans voted no. So the idea that was raised that most people dismissed, oh, they're not going to come back to the Supreme Court and do away with Griswold, even though Clarence Thomas said it ought to be on the agenda. And now we see that for the overwhelming majority of Republicans, it is on their agenda. And you need to have those votes, but then follow it with a campaign, a big, vigorous campaign that holds them to account. If you don't, they're going to prevail, and they're going to prevail because the press corps is not going to hold them to account. It's pretty clear. Yeah, you're seeing this play out, by the way, with climate change, right? If it weren't for uh, President Biden getting COVID and kind of being benched, so to speak, I think you saw what I would say were some of his baby steps in Massachusetts uh, this past week 
trying to basically salvage the climate agenda, which, by the way, got completely derailed by guess who, Joe Manchin, no, no surprise there. And, you know, starting with like a series of very modest actions that are completely short of not just what scientists would recommend, but what any Democrats that have been very active in this area. And what's amazing to me, by the way, what in D.C., we had what record heat. There's a heat advisory. The U.K. temperatures are rising in such a way that you couldn't ask for, I hate to say it, a better setting in which to highlight some of the issues with climate change. But you know, you have Ed Markey and you have a couple of like Democrats just highlighting the congressional obstruction on this issue. But now it seems like the media is more than happy to tilt the responsibility to Biden because he made an announcement saying, look, if Congress won't act, then I will do it. So what's the buzz? What is Biden going to do and how And he's damned if he does, damned if he doesn't now? And where should the action energy have placed an action that should be the negative emotion should be placed on the GOP? Massachusetts, interestingly enough, in our kind of opening of talking about Republicans, I'm sure you saw like the I'm sure you saw that chart. I used to work with Charlie Baker, actually have a high degree of respect for him, the, the current governor. But you, you will recall that Massachusetts, in a very interesting way, had their Republican nominees for governor move away from any mention of Charlie Baker, Massachusetts GOP convention tilting again towards the Trump endorsed candidate. Yet Charlie Baker as a person remains incredibly popular in that state. But the like kind of the outcomes of these elections, to your point, in states like Massachusetts are absolutely frightening and not sure how to anticipate the destruction that could come if state houses, gubernatorial races kind of run to this, run to the direction that right now actually seems plausible for many states. I'm afraid it does. And, you know, we had this heartening development of this bipartisan group of senators come up with what is a not perfect, but reasonable and better than we expected reform of the Electoral Count Act to try and respond to the flaws in the law that uh, led us to the debacle on January 6th. But if you go through that, even as they plug some of the holes, you realize that they can't do everything. And if the Supreme Court gives more of a role to these state legislatures, we are going to be in a position where having a free and fair election becomes extraordinarily unlikely. And we're seeing this in states. And if some of these states where the only check on the uh, radical legislature is a governor, places like Wisconsin uh, and Michigan uh, and Pennsylvania and North Carolina, lose some of those seats and turn the uh, state completely over to these radical crazies. And the consequences in the states are going to be horrific, but they have enormous national implications for the presidency. On that note, Norm, let's wrap up the part that's available to non-members. We'll be talking about uh, Joe O'Day and some of these tensions of where Democrats should be spending their money in campaigns on our members-only segment. But it's incredibly helpful for you to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast player. We also hope you can share this episode with your friends on social media. And then if you like the subject and the episode and become a member of the DSR Network, we're running a special promotion right now, and it is a perfect time to put your dollars to work 
to get more information, more content in a bonus segment where we'll be talking not only about the threat to Democrat and civil liberties, but beyond that, why anybody, even moderate Republicans who have just snubbed their nose and tried to look the other way really should take a closer look. The Words Matter podcast is a production of the DSR Network. Executive producer of the DSR Network is Chris Putnor, and the producer of Words Matter is Grant Paver. The next episode of Words Matter will be in your podcast feeds on July 29th. See you then.